check out how this award-winning agency of the year is doing things differently. With 37 people and growing, his agency has no departments and instead uses a concept called casting to bring the right people into the right creative projects. Hear how Scott and his team reduce the fear of failure and remove perfectionism paralysis by actively showing clients the quantity of ideas that failed to get to the quality ones. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead, and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Scott, congratulations on winning Strategy Agency of the Year with Strategy Magazine. When I first met you, your office was in an industrial laundromat, and your startup story is very much like how a rock band gets started. By that, I mean it started with three people in a garage. It sure looks different today. You have 37 people on your team, an office in Toronto, and a clear model of low overhead and high talent. I want to explore how you got here and the recipe for an award-winning agency. But before we dive into that, tell us about your agency, what you do, and who's on the team. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for having me. Well, a couple things. So I've actually been doing this myself uh, 28 years now. And I started at the absolute bottom. We're called 123 West. I'm one of the founders and I'm the CEO. And we started this agency, like you said, in uh, 2013. Uh, and with I'm more of a business strategy person. And I've got three original, amazing creative partners. Jeff Harrison, who was one of the best uh, and is one of the best designers in the country. Rob Sweetman, who's one of the best art directors and creatives in the country. And uh, Brian Collins, who's one of the best writers and uh, creative directors in the country. And uh, so far, so good. Nice. So what is this backstory of this model that you have, low overhead and high talent? How did it come about? Yeah, you know, like it's interesting because our whole business is about helping companies, helping brands be successful. And to do that, there's a very methodical exercises that you do to actually understand what the position is and how they're different than everybody else and, you know, what you should focus in on and so on. But the reality is, is that most agencies, the vast majority, I've worked at them, I've even run some of them, actually don't have a brand themselves, which I think is quite hilarious. And so when we wanted to, to start this company, we did want to create a brand. And when creating that brand, you start to go through like a regular SWOT analysis, your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And we knew what we we're going to be strong at, um, the talent. But our weakness, our weakness was we just weren't going to be able to compete with some companies that are owned by mega billion dollar companies. And so our greatest weakness ended up becoming our greatest opportunity. 
And so by not trying to compete with billion dollar companies, we went the opposite way. And so that got us into this whole, well, they spend huge amounts of money in overhead, then let's spend hardly any money in overhead. And then because they spend lots of money in overhead, it has to cost, be got the cost of something. And that's usually the talent. So let's actually then focus in on talent. So that's how we got to the low overhead, high talent model that we still have today. Great. Now, I know that your team is now a team of 37 and 15 of those people on your team are creative directors. That's such a unique mix. And like you mentioned, it aligns with your model. Can you share a bit more about how that type of organizational structure works? We have so many directors. Yeah. And so it kind of came again from uh, day one almost is that what happens is backing up is that on the creative side in particular is it's kind of like a Malcolm Gladwell thing is that if you're talented, first of all, some people are just naturally talented. However, if you spend over 10,000 hours plus in this business or in anything in life, you'll likely then start to almost getting to a point where you master your craft to a certain point. And so what happens is that uh, great, great creative people start then getting the tap on their shoulder to maybe be made the creative director. But when they're the creative director is sometimes that job is that they're not actually doing what they're really, really good at. In fact, a lot of it's about management and managing staff and doing new business and a whole bunch of other things. And so what happens is that even though it's a nice title and people get paid a lot more, sometimes people just aren't as happy as they used to be when they actually did the work. So my partners, uh, Jeff and, and Rob in particular, they just, they're just the happiest when they're actually doing the work. Brian and I, um, even though Brian's a creative, he's, he's got a really strong business mind. Not the other guys don't, but Brian and I, we just love doing that stuff a bit more than they do. So you start to play to your strengths. And so the more that my partners, Jeff and Rob, could actually do the work, the happier they were, the happier we all were, and the better the work we did. So we just started to replicate that model. And again, going back to our low overhead, uh, high talent model is that if we can save money, on our overhead and things like cost of office space and furniture and a whole bunch of things like that, we can put it into hiring better people. And so everybody, now we have 15 working creative directors and they work, they get their hands dirty. So when clients hire us, they get unbelievably talented people actually doing the work, not just overseeing it, which is a huge benefit to our clients. And again, because we keep our overhead low, we can give them it at a really good value a much greater value than, you know, most people in our business, often in our agencies, is that um, there's about like people have like a couple years experience. And so um, so they're kind of learning their job on the fly like we all did. So it's a huge value to our clients. Mm-hmm. I want to go back uh, on what you said about some agencies doing it, kind of the, what I would call the old school way and how you guys have more of a new school way, right? So an old school way, like you mentioned, is creative directors who are more plugged into the business and management side, and then they get less opportunities to do the creative. And in your new school way, you're, you're, putting your creative directors in the position to be more creative. Can you tell us a bit about how that works? If your creative directors are focused on being the creatives, who's actually in your business doing some of the uh, business side of things? Yeah, a couple of things. So one is, um, first of all, we have what we call like account uh, directors or senior account directors or group account directors. So that's their primary responsibility. They're actually, you know, in charge of, you know, the whole client relationship, the actual work, the strategy, the business results, and so on. But that said is that it's not just their job. 
It's also the creative director's job, the creative team, and it's everyone's job, really, whether they're on production or no matter what they're doing. And of course, then allows us partners to get very involved, too. And so like at the start, when we were small, you know, I was working on everything. And now that we've gotten bigger and we have more clients and so on, our team is so talented is that I don't have to be everywhere. In fact, I can't be anywhere because I'd be bottlenecking everything. So I'm actually quite enjoying it where you kind of start to lead from behind versus actually lead forward. And um, so we're basically, it's everyone's responsibility to, to use their thinking and their creativity to drive business results for our clients. So how do you decide who's on a team for a project? Yeah, the, that's a great question is a couple things. First and foremost, we're big, big believers in casting. So when you cast your team of talent on a particular piece of business, you almost want to cast it like you're casting a movie or a TV show is that uh, everyone's got, you know, like we, we don't have departments. We actually just, we, we purposely don't have departments. We don't have a creative department, account service department, production department. We have people who actually have a job that's a writer, an art director, designer, account person and production person and so on. But we make sure that everything is just like a team, just like, quite frankly, like a sports team where you play for your position, but you're not, you know, you're not just in a department and so on. And so, so basically, uh, yeah, so everyone just works together on uh, on each project. And, uh, you know, and again, like the, everyone's got to drive business results. Okay, I love this idea of casting. This is the first time I've actually heard this word being used in an agency. Um, can you tell us a bit more about casting? So let's say, for example, you have an amazing project come in. How do you cast the people into the project? Yeah, um, and there's not, there's not necessarily a set process. So first and foremost, I'm a big believer is if somebody, like sometimes there's a category, you know, it could be automotive, it could be restaurants, it could be beer, it could be a whole bunch of things. And if somebody loves that, that, that client's business, their brand, the industry or something like that to such a point that they just can't even wait to wake up the next morning to work on that, I want them on that team, first and foremost. Now, number two is that sometimes, at least in agencies I used to work with, there was kind of like stereotype casting, just like in a movie, that... Women got to work on women products. Guys got to work on guys products and so on. And I don't, we don't believe in that. Um, in fact, one of the, the best things we've ever done to this date was for Diane's lingerie, a lingerie campaign. And because when we were really small, four of us guys worked on a lingerie, <laughs> lingerie campaign. And trust me, I knew nothing about lingerie, but the clients did. And so we just really leaned on the client's expertise and we used our methodical approach. And And we end, I think one of the reasons we end up doing such great work on this campaign, this whole thing about like, you know, it was the strategy and the position was all about fit and it was all about, you know, about making, you know, everyone's beautiful um, and so on. And we we had all these people pressing their bodies down with, with water-based paint on paper. And we just made this beautiful imagery. It was just so disruptive in that category that by actually not being the target group, we came up with something different. And so sometimes, sometimes we go against kind of casting stereotypes. Sometimes, uh, you know, just who wants to work on this the, the best. Um, and of course, too, there's a, sometimes just the scheduling too, right? It's just like 
who is the right people and the right people that, that are available that have time for that particular project. And so that's been really good too about having multiple creative directors is that is, you know, we can, we can make sure that uh, we divvy projects up and so on. And everyone's always got like really meaningful work, which is, which is great. But uh, yeah, the casting is, I think it's key. Mm-hmm. There's something else that you said in there that I I just want to pull out and dive into a bit more. And that's because I think when a lot of people think about creativity, they think about it as coming out of thin air. But you mentioned these two keywords and what you just said, and that was that there's this methodical approach to creativity. I want, I'm wondering if you can tell us more about what a methodical approach is to creativity. Yeah, like first and foremost, if we uh, we win a new client, what we always say is that they're the experts in their business and we're you know very strong experts in what we do. How we're going to win together is if we work together as one team. So we have these things, we call them ID8 sessions, like an I and a D and an eight. And it's very methodical is we go through everything, like the vision of their brand uh, or company, the business objectives, communications objectives. We really break down the target groups. We talk about the messaging, the who, the what, the why. It's kind of Simon Sinek stuff. And then we start to get into tonality and deliverables. And it's very, very like detailed, but it's a working session that we have with clients. They don't just send over a document and us talk to a couple of people and you know, we only know 5% of the facts and, you know, then try to make 100% of the recommendation is, you know, we have to work with them. Over time, we start to become experts in their business and industry too. But it's naive to think that you've got these great clients that you're going to know their business better than them. And so it's all collaboration. So, so we start off on that. We have then created the perfect brief together. If someone like us is even 5% off on day one, after a couple of weeks, we'll be wildly off. So we really have to make sure that we're all kind of walking together when we're doing the work on the brief. And then from there, to get to consistently get to great work, we firmly believe a couple things. One is that the quality, I mean, the quantity, I should say, the quantity of our ideas gets us to quality is the truth is you have to fail a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot to get to something great. The best agencies and the best people I've ever worked with, they are relentless on the sheer number of ideas that they come up with. And they know that a whole bunch of them are not going to be great. But you've got to go through that process. And then when we see a whole bunch of work internally, and then uh, we're pretty fearless is that we we pretty well present everything. We present what we like, what we tried, where we failed. I'm a big believer that show where you failed because the client may agree, but sometimes there might even be stuff where you think you failed on, but they like they like a line, they like a word, they like a look of just a little piece of that and so on. Most of the time in our business, people are taught of like, don't show anything that you don't want to sell. I don't believe with that. If you have confidence in your client and confidence in your team and confidence in yourself, then you can just be transparently honest as you go through the process and and we just collaborate like everyone talks about collaboration, but we we take it to the extreme and it's really, really good. And uh, the stronger our clients are and us as a team and having a strong relationship that we can be open to what we all like and what we don't like, it just gets, gets to better work that actually works. 
Before we get back to the episode, I want to invite you to the free Strategic Connections Roundtable, where creatives, consultants, and service-based business owners can meet new business connections without the awkwardness of traditional networking. It's a curated experience where the group fit is curated so that connections and conversations thrive. That means that every month, a Strategic Connections Roundtable will bring together a group of service-based business owners in similar stages of business who can benefit from knowing each other so that you can make connections easier, share what your business offers, discover new resources, and have an opportunity to mastermind a challenge. Save your free seat at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable. Above all, I care about genuine connections and authentic relationships in business. If that's you, check out the roundtable and curated networking experience today. You can get all the details and onto the free invite list over at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable or click on the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app back to the show for many service providers out there we come in providing a service and wanting our clients to see us as this expert and because of that what happens is we're afraid to show them where we fail and what it sounds like for you guys is that that's actually a win for you guys when you guys are able to show where you fail that more amazing things can come out of that and so this idea of quantity of ideas leading to quality I think there's a lot of people out there who hear that and and might think wow like when we think quantity of ideas how many ideas are you actually pitching out there to your clients well it depends like sometimes um you know like everything we do starts a strategy but then we're kind of like half a design company and half a advertising agency and everything's obviously digital and so on so we have a wide array of things that we do but for example i'll just say on the design side right now so on the design side let's just say that we're going to come up with a logo and a full brand identity system we will do dozens and dozens and dozens often. And what we then do is said we sometimes sketch stuff up and, you know, we go through that process and then we start to narrow it down to, you know, a dozen or sometimes a half dozen, depend, depends on each project. And then we start to narrow it down. We call them shallow holes. And then we start to build them out a bit. But we're still fearless. We'll show even the backstory on other stuff too. And uh, that... So sometimes it's just, it's a ridiculous amount of stuff. It's almost overwhelming, even internally. When we're doing like television scripts, you know, it'll often be like, we'll show 15 uh, or maybe more, maybe slightly less. It's just, you know, said, you, you just got to put in the work. Like they're paying you. And I kind of like, you know, on, on the flip side, when I first got into business is sometimes you'd have six weeks in creative development. No one has that now, but you used to have it that back then. So I'd say I'd be working on a beer campaign six weeks. And then after six weeks, you're going to come in with like two TV scripts. Like if I was a client, I'd be like, what the heck have you been doing? <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that if you're being paid to do all this work, then you owe it to yourselves, the client and the brand, the work to actually just be relentless in, uh, in your ideation. And uh, I said, the best people I've ever seen actually are relentless. The worst people I've ever seen come up with like two or three ideas. Usually one's derivative of something else, one's okay, and maybe one's passable. And so you have to, you have to put the work in to, to do something great. 
Mm-hmm. It sounds like the word relentless is, is part of your, your culture. Is, is that, I mean, is that plastered on your wall? I'm probably a little bit more relentless. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's, there's pauses and negatives of that word, I have to admit. Yeah. There's re- I think there's positive relentless, right? So relentless is you just, you've got to, you've got to go that extra, you know, you've got to go that extra mile, right? Like if you're going to run a marathon, don't stop a hundred meters before you're done. Right. And so, but there just is a drive. If you look, if you look at anybody in life, that's mm-hmm. done fairly well, whether an athlete or a musician or an actor or a business person or scientist, it's just, you know, if you love what you do and you're good at it and, um, and you work at it and work at it and work at it is the odds are, is that uh, talent plus effort and skill and passion is you're probably going to get a better result, right? The people that I've even seen loads of people in our business, or I used to play sports, we used to play hockey, is they had this natural talent, but they just didn't have the same amount of drive. And eventually, um, no matter how talented you are, if you don't have that drive, that relentless drive to be great or do something great, people will pass you. Mm-hmm. It sounds like um, you've taken a lot of what you did in sports into business as well, too, because I think anyone who've ever, who's ever trained for anything knows how how much consistency and hard work it takes right, to get good at anything. Yeah, like, you know, I think one of the things I, I respect, um, you know, you could even say sports or military. Really, sports is is just a, a, a derivative of, of military, right? And so that starts to get a little bit dark when you say that on that, but like... <laughs> Uh, say it back to the sports side is just like they practice. So whether you're a hockey person or a gymnast or or whatever you are is practice, practice, practice. In fact, most people ideally should be practicing more than they officially play. And what then happens is that uh, say a great athlete is practice, practice, practice. It just becomes like muscle memory for them. And they can do these phenomenal things because they've practiced it over and over and over again. And that's what happens in our business is that, uh, you know, if you make a thousand ads and you're paying attention, you should have then come up with thousands upon thousands more ideas. And uh, it's practice. And how can you make your craft better? How can you sell it better? How can you make a smarter, more effective idea that's actually going to work? There is a lot of parallels. One of the things I love about it is that like even in the ad business is that it is a bit like a sports team. You know, going back to hockey is that, you know, there's there's five or six people on ice, six people, including goalie, is everyone's got their own position and they must do their position well, but they must play together as a team to if they want to win. And you could have a dominant player, but that will only get you so far if you've got a whole team of people with a goal and you practice and you get better and you enjoy the process, you're probably going to be good. I've just seen it time and time again where there's so many parallels in our business in particular where you get some talented people come in with positive attitudes and you know what you're trying to do and you're all working together and it just, the business gets easier. Uh, You get to win more, which is great. Yeah, I can see how this idea of a sports team as well as casting really play hand in hand. Much like a sports team, what you're doing is you're casting a team of creative players uh, and bringing them together to do their best work. Now, anyone who's grown a team knows that it pushes you to learn about yourself and, and to grow as an individual. 
what would you share with other leaders as one of the most important things you've learned about yourself along the way to growing your team? Yeah, I would say that the most important thing I've learned over the years, and it took me quite a long time, is I think, you know, at a young age for a whole bunch of reasons, which we don't have time to talk about right now, is that one of the things that drove me was almost instead of being fear, uh, having a having a drive to want to be good, it was almost like I had a fear of not being good. <laughs> so I had this kind of weird fear of failure. And I think it even goes back when, again, again, when I was playing hockey, I was a goalie. So obviously we wanted to win, but, I, you know, I wanted to stop the puck because I didn't want to let my teammates down. And then I got in the business. And then for, for many, many years, I kind of used this whole thing of like, I got to actually do my job really well because I don't want to let people down. And I don't want to make a bad ad or I don't want to fail at this and so on. And so that was a negative driver for me for many, many years. And then what happened is that a bunch of years ago, I had a complete, what I thought was a failure in my career. When I was in Toronto, I helped run an agency. Uh, we won the agency of the year in 2000, I think, seven or 2008. And that was great. And then I helped do a startup agency. And... Uh, I, I struggled with the with the owner, the way that the the owner actually treated people and so on, and and um, we just didn't have the same values. Anyways, I, I won't get into all the details there, but I eventually left that company on my own accord. But I I I left there, didn't want to be there, and it was the first time in eighteen years that I didn't have a job, and I I felt this incredible sense of failure, and. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, even though I, I took some time off, which was good, I, I was pretty bummed out about it. And I'm not a person that gets bummed out. Uh, I eventually then started my own first company called Community, Community with a K. And I moved out to Vancouver and it went way better than I thought. And in 2013, of course, we started 123 West too. And that's gone over pretty good. And I look back at my career, I had to analyze my career to date from, from the first day to where I was. And that's when it hit me that I've been using failure, fear of failure to motivate myself for so many years. And then I look back on it and then I realized that anytime I actually probably in my head did have a failure, I bounce back 10 times higher. It would be like taking a tennis ball. You know, usually if you, have, if you put a tennis ball, you hold it up to your shoulder, you drop it, it might only kind of bounce a third high. And, and so I just found that when I did fail, if I had that tennis ball, the tennis ball would have actually bounced twice as high. <laughs> so at that moment, I, you know, I, I get paid all these for all these years to analyze brands and companies and target groups and people and so on. And, you know, typical male, I never an analyzed myself. And once I did, I realized like, holy cow, when I fail, I actually kind of use that as a motivator to bounce back and be better. So mm -hmm. I have now no longer afraid of failure. In fact, I will embrace, I don't want to, I don't try to fail, of course, but I will embrace failure because in my life, I have had several moments where I have failed and I've bounced back and done better things. So, so for me, that, that was a holy cow moment. And, uh, and now, you know, like obviously I said, I don't want to fail on things, but uh, I'm not afraid to fail anymore.
Mm-hmm. It, it, it sounds like um, the word is introspection, right? Introspection has played a big part in your leadership journey. And through introspection, you've been able to discover why you do the things you do. And that has supported you to go even further. Yeah. And, you know, you learn a lot of things is that, um, you know, I was in my 40s and so on. And so you basically, you know, you're at you're kind of at the halfway mark or, or even on the back 50 of your life. And uh, at that point, you start to realize this is who I am. Here's all the good things about me. Here's the things that aren't so good or I need to work on and so on. But this is generally who I am. And, um, you know, so you can focus in on the positives and try to delete the things that aren't so good about you and, uh, you know, just try to be a positive person. And so, you know, the other thing I'll tell you too is that you, you don't have to have all the answers all the time. You know, I'm the CEO, but, uh, you know, I, I probably ask for help more than anybody. <laughs> so, and, and that's what I like is I've got all these talented people. I've got talented partners. I've got two more talented partners now than we had before. There's six of us and mm-hmm. we got all these great people. And, you know, sometimes I'm confident myself, but I'm actually even more confident in asking the question to a bunch of smart people, even if I think I already know the answer, but I want to ha- hear what other people think. And if someone has a better answer or better solution than I do, I'm 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 100% happy to to take that. So that took a while, right? You kind of got to, you kind of kind of put your ego on the, on the, you know, and you got to just delete your ego really. And, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's kind of worked for me. I want to wrap this up. Before I wrap this up, I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, number one, uh, it's going to be about your team. And number two, it's going to be about you. The first question is about how do you keep your team engaged and inspired? Yeah. A couple things is that, um, Every every Monday, uh, we meet the whole company. Uh, we're all working remotely right now, so we all meet and uh, we go over, you know, any new business wins or interesting things that are happening. Maybe some personal things, and then we go through the status of uh, all our clients and so on. So we meet there. We're doing a whole bunch of different things uh, at the end of the week, and we've been doing this for for many years now. Is that uh, it's someone's uh, responsibility beforehand to basically go and get updates from everybody on all the work or all these things that are happening, and we they put together a weekly email of everything that's happening and so on. And they and they're completely allowed to put whatever their theme that they want and so on. Obviously within the boundaries of good taste, which they always do, and so that's kind of fun. Another couple of things is that. Uh, I guess three years ago, we started having in the fall, because we're on the calendar fiscal January, December, is we started having all staff planning sessions. So in the first bunch of years, it was just my partners and I, and we would plan out what we're going to do next year. And for the most part, we kind of just let our people know and we would, you know, we would basically try to execute the plan. And so we still kind of meet beforehand, but we don't have it all figured out because we want to hear, we got so many talented people, we want to hear what they think. And then on top of that, we spend a lot of time thinking, asking them of how we could be better. We do pre-surveys and post-surveys and, uh, and then we have these planning sessions and it's always about like, how can we be better? How can we have a better process? How can we how can we do, you know, who, what other talent do we need if we grow and so on? Like a couple of years ago, people were like, we need to have a motions graphics person. And thank goodness we did is we hired this awesome motion graphics person before the pandemic hit. And then it hit. And because we couldn't shoot out all the time because of the, uh, you know, health restrictions and so on, we could actually make a whole bunch of stuff in house. And so, 
So just listening again is that um, our people is that uh, it's just been fantastic. You just want to utilize the brain power and the talent. Yeah, it sounds like you have a great system and process for a feedback loop with the people who are boots on the ground, which is always so important if you're trying to create great work in a business. So last question here, what keeps you inspired and at your best? To me, it's it's just, A, I love what I do. I, I'm one of those fortunate, weird people that I, I actually went to school for advertising. I got the job at like, I had literally the lowest paid job. I did the lowest of the low job and I was happy to even be working. Mm. Um, So I've just kind of worked my way up. But what I love the most about this is just the power of a big idea is my favorite moments in this business is that we've, you know, we've got a, we've been working with the clients, we've got a strategy and a position area and so on. And then the, the core team is showing ideas. And then you see that idea and you see it. And after a while, and I've been fortunate to work on a lot of stuff that's been pretty successful, it's like it's glowing. (laughs) It's such a good idea. And you just get so excited because you know that team can craft it really well and how 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 much people are just going to love it. Like real human beings are going to love it. Not award show judges and so on, but real human beings maybe the media, maybe people are going to talk about it and so on. And that moment when you first see that and then you present it after the team presents it to the clients and then they start to make it. And, you know, and not only does it deliver on expectations, but exceeds it and it goes out in the world and people love it and it grows their business by 35 percent year over year. It's just a great feeling. And you're just adding value. You're helping create jobs. You're, you know, you're, you've done your job and then some. And, and I just love it. And, and I love the whole process where you can just tell that the teams enjoying join making it. Then we have all our external partners in, directors and production houses and editors and sound people and so on. And they've all bought into and they're adding their you know, uh, creativity to it. And it just kind of pushes the work up and... Yeah, I just, I love it. It sounds like it's all about creating great things. And I think that's demonstrated just by this award that you've won in 2020. And so I I really enjoyed our, our conversation, Scott. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. Our website address is 123w.ca. So that's 123w.ca. And uh um, all our contact information is there. And uh, and I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn too. So I'm Scott Keith, uh, Scott with one T. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan.